Welcome to the Grit and Grace space. Come along as we explore experiences, cultivate community, and grow our appetite for adventure. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode three of the Grit and Grace space. Today, we'll go through a little bit of a life update since episode two was recorded in December of 2022, and we are now in June of 2023. So a fair amount of time has passed, and we'll get into that a little bit later on in the podcast as far as why there's such a big gap. But thankfully, since I'm recording these sort of batched before I release them all, you will not suffer from the six-month hiatus and I'm praying that we are smooth sailing going forward. So where we left off was a few days prior to finding out the answer on if Alexander and I had gotten accepted into Emory's executive MBA program. I'll save you from the suspense. The answer is we both did get into Emory's executive MBA program, but backing up a little bit, in 2019, I attempted to start the journey of applying for grad school. It's something that our company encourages and sort of saying it without saying it, they look for if you have a master's degree or a secondary degree of any sort with respect to career progression. So going back in time a little bit, I went through a phase that sort of spiraled into a three-year recovery saga where in 2019, I attempted to study for the GMAT to get a really good score so that I could get accepted into Emory's MBA program. And the long story short is it was a complete disaster. And I'll tell you why. The process that I executed in studying for the GMAT was maybe two days a week, I would study different segments of the test, meaning like a reading section or a comprehension section or the weird math that they want you to figure out how to do. And then on Sundays, I would take practice tests and I was following, like I purchased a guide, a study guide from one of the, you know, reputable sources. And I had like physical material and online study material and I was all in on studying for this test so that I could exceed the average test score and hopefully have a chance at being accepted and what happened was every test that I took, the score that I got was number one, lower than I expected. And number two was not incrementally better week over week. And so after about maybe six weeks or two months of studying for this, I decided I wasn't going to take the test. And 
I canceled it and decided I wasn't going to apply for school and sort of put that whole idea on pause. And it sort of broke me in a way that this is something that for all intents and purposes I had failed at. And there's been segments of successes, you know, getting a scholarship for diving and going to Auburn and doing well academically and having job opportunities sort of present themselves in a way that enabled me to provide for myself and pay back my student loans and just little wins along the way. This was, you know, the first major failure that I has experienced probably since maybe my training days of diving where, you know, some days don't go as well as other days. And, you know, you might just have a day of practice or a competition that is ter- completely terrible, right? And you sort of pick yourself up and dust yourself off and have a chance to go back at it again. And in circumstances like that, I feel like I had a really healthy way of dealing with adversity. I also had opportunities to try, try, try again, where the outcome oftentimes was better than the previous adverse event or whatever you want to call it. In this case, this was sort of like a all or nothing high stakes and, you know, zooming way out and in reality, this was not high stakes. And something that I learned through this process was that I put such an emphasis on on this test, on getting, like I didn't even apply, but like trying to get into MBA sort of became such like a huge part of my identity that when it didn't go my way, I was, I experienced a devastation that was maybe more severe than I ever had in the past or recall ever having in the past. And it wasn't like there was an immediate opportunity to, I guess, try again. And at least that's how I saw the circumstance through my mind. And so my confidence was rocked. My sense of self was sort of shaken. And it sent me down this spiral of, I'm not good enough. I'll never be successful. Like, I'm more like terrible, terrible self, negative self talk. And again, over the last several years, I've worked through overcoming that headspace that I sort of, even though I was in that like dark headspace for maybe a shorter period of time, there were there was aftermath that I sort of had to sort through over the months and years that followed. And talking with therapists here and there about that, I think it's more so like a slow build of all of these other, whether it be childhood experiences or experiences in relationships that have had sort of like eaten away at me. And that sounds way more dramatic than it actually is, but 
all of that to say this event brought to the surface all of these other things that really hadn't been resolved. And the reason that I'm going through all of this backstory is to emphasize that God's plan is far superior than anything you could ever dream of. And I'll explain why. He listens to our desires and constructs a path that is brilliant. And whatever that path looks like, you learn more and grow more. And even if that path is completely terrible, it, it provides so much sweetness on the other end. And so as I get further and further away from that instance and have maybe a perspective that I didn't have before, looking back on the experience just emphasizes how awesome God is. And as a result, right, what has transpired since was sort of shifting gears and working towards saving and training and getting my pilot's license, something that I've always been interested in from, you know, flight, space, astronaut, being in the clouds sort of desire that came to fruition. And as time has passed, Alexander and I are in a different spot financially and he is also ready to go to grad school so now getting accepted in December we're both able to go through this program together and now the result of the things that shifted during 2020 and how the world sort of pivoted we have an opportunity to do the online program Whereas before, if I had got accepted into the program at the time, I would have had to drive an hour and a half to and from Emory twice a week. And doing that alone, I just know that would have been so exhausting. Another nuance to this is the program that I was applying for in 2019 was a regular MBA program. So the cohort would have been other students who maybe they're straight out of undergrad or maybe they have a few years of working experience. But with the executive MBA program that we'll be going through, the average years of experience is 14. And so although Alexander and I are way on the low end, our cohort will be a much more experienced group of people, and I feel like that will really be a gift considering what we're looking towards as far as future career planning and all of that, just getting to be surrounded by other people with a lot more wisdom than we have, I think will be really exciting. So the best part about all of this, <laughs> in my opinion, is not only do we get to go through an executive grad program that we don't have to drive 90 minutes to and from for each class, 
And I get to go through this program with my husband. So we're both in it together. We also got a dog. And yes, we live in an apartment. And no, maybe it's not the most practical thing. However, Disco is the light of our lives. And she is completely wonderful in every way. And so no regrets (laughs) so far. So how did this all come about? Over the summer, a friend and I were going to the farmer's market downtown and Paws Humane Society had a tent set up and they had a few of the shelter dogs out there for people to visit or play with or consider adoption. And I saw the sweetest little I guess she was a miniature pincher or mixed with a rottweiler I don't know what she was she was a mutt but picked her up and that's when the puppy fever kicked in for me and that was August time frame and after seeing her at the farmer's market, I went and visited her again at the shelter during one twin day and just completely fell head over heels with her and the idea of having a dog. And I went ahead and put together this PowerPoint presentation to convince Alexander that we should get this sweet little dog. I named her Pippa from the Paws Humane Society. In college, we had thought that the idea of getting a golden doodle named Waffles was, we put that dream out into the universe. And, you know, the timing was never right. We both wanted a hypoallergenic dog and we wanted a doodle of some sort. And because this dog was definitely not a doodle and was sort of out of the blue, very impulsive. Yes, my parents should have made my middle name Chinzia Impulsive Calabretta when I was born because I am, once I see something, I'm like, that's what I want. Sometimes it's a great idea and works out fantastic. And sometimes I waste money and learn lessons the hard way, but that's okay. So how did Disco come to be? A co-worker's wife happened to have a litter of Aussie Doodles born mid-November and sent me a text because he had he knew that we wanted a doodle and we were sort of considering that, but you know, we're very picky about the timing and we said, yeah, please put a hold on the cute little girl with a dark spot in the shape of a Christmas tree. That's that's our girl. And they put a hold on her. We found out December 6th or 7th that we got into grad school and Disco was ours. The origin story behind the name Disco for a girl Aussie doodle. This past summer, Alexander's mom had taken a trip to Croatia and during that trip one of her taxi drivers had a sort of a long complicated Croatian name and 
when he said his name, Corinna sort of cocked her head at him like, what What was your name? <laughs> and he said, oh, you can call me Disco. And when she was retelling the story, I looked over at my sister-in-law and we were both like, that would be such a cute name for a dog. And so that's how it came to be that when we got into grad school, when we had the opportunity to get a Aussie doodle, of course, the name was going to be Disco. Now, the backup name I picked out was Gary, but Alexander really wasn't fond of a girl dog named Gary. I Who knows why? I think it's a perfect name. But anyway, we're both completely head over heels in love with her. And since picking her up in January, we've been training her and sort of figuring out a routine with her and going from soft food to hard food and crate training and potty training and all of the fun things that come along with raising an eight-week-old puppy. So that's sort of tossed out the trip that we've taken the past two Februaries to the Dominican Republic. It's also made for a really long first half of the year. And I say that because over the last two years, we've gone to an all-inclusive in the Dominican Republic, two different ones we've experienced, so not necessarily the same one every time. But we go to escape the cold and reconnect and it's sort of a vacation after a vacation following holidays with family and the traveling that that involves and sometimes the stress that that involves with coordination. And by the time you get through the first month of the year and have, you know, from a work standpoint, all of your goals and to-dos and timelines and future state planning all complete, February makes for a really wonderful time to just escape and reconnect. And so, of course, with Disco and the flights and resort costs being astronomical and trying to save money, not trying, we are saving money on the side for our MBA program, we didn't take our trip to the Dominican, and <laughs> that was a bad idea, <laughs> a really bad idea. And it's hard to sort of quantify the value that a trip brings. What I mean by that is there's the financial cost of the flights and the shuttle and the days at the resort, and that all sums up to some value and on paper it's hard to really put weight on what you get out of it meaning reconnecting him and I experiencing warm weather and just a change of scenery and sort of getting away from it all that's more touchy-feely hard to quantify and put up against a number of the cost and say it's worth this much, you know, because you're 
in the moment, maybe you don't feel that that's true, but it's really obvious that it is true when you don't go and you don't get that reconnection or that sort of restart, right? We both agreed that not choosing not to go this year, even though it probably was the right decision for us, it still came along with making this a really long winter and even into the spring a total grind and just resulting in me personally feeling mentally stuck and pretty overwhelmed and sort of in a place where I couldn't get out of my own head. So not that 100% of that would have been resolved by taking this trip. I don't want it to come across that way. But I do think not having that time away really impacted the severity of this sort of slump that I've been experiencing. This time around, I was able to recognize that this was sort of a depressive episode and I knew that it wouldn't last forever and I sort of had to wait it out. And so not that that made anything easier, but it was a light at the end of the tunnel in a way that I knew that this wouldn't last forever. And thank goodness we had disco, right? There's these funny pictures of girls all dressed up with their dogs and the quote is like, who who rescued who? And I think that's so funny considering, you know, how much joy that disco brings to our lives. And especially with the privilege of being able to work from home, I get to spend all day with her now sometimes she's a pain in the butt and I have to put her in her crate and sometimes she's completely perfect so spring is considered the season of rebirth and for me that's when it feels most natural and like fluid I'll say to work on goal planning and shedding the yuck and that's when I typically become inspired or creative or just, you know, filled with life again, as opposed to sort of the January New Year's resolution situation. Not that one is better than the other. So that spring season of rebirth didn't really happen for me until May, and it was a slow build. And so I felt the blooming and the expansion and the new sense of joy that comes along with the spring slowly, like in increments, starting maybe late April and early May. However, there were so many different social events, and I traveled for work for a week in April, and we had Bible study every Wednesday, and they were just a, a lot of pressure with sort of what's going on at work right now, and that meant a lot of, I do have a lot of work meetings as it is, but there was a heightened tension in those work meetings, whereas before, you know, was maybe a little lighter and less, less intense or lower pressure. The the progression or transition into 
this spring for me and getting this rejuvenation didn't honestly really come to fruition until Memorial Day weekend. And that's when I sort of got my creative spark lit again. That's when I really dove back into the idea that I do want a podcast. I was really gung-ho about the idea in the fall, I guess the last summer leading into the fall, and then that fire sort of died out. And after having four full days off for Memorial Day weekend on that last Monday, I finally did feel rejuvenated and my desire for continuing with the podcast represented itself and that's when I edited the last podcast from December and worked out the outline for the podcast I'm recording now and had the courage to send out texts for interview requests and I'm really praying that the creative slump from the winter is officially retired. And I'm excited to have this fire and passion again, working to make this a thing. The biggest takeaway from the spring into May is that slow progress is still progress. Of course, this isn't a new idea, but it's finally something that resonates with me and that I find peace with. An example of this is accepting and identifying that maybe I really am an introvert. And that alone time and silence and reflection are things that enable me to fill up my cup. Now, I love people and experiences and social events. I, I do love those things, but I think I love them less in frequency now. And I'm really picky about socializing or community building in a way that I am certain my cup will be filled. Now, I'm not expecting myself to get it right every time, and some events are quantity over quality, and that's okay, but I'm getting a lot more picky about how I spend my time overall and especially with other people. And so as a grade-A people pleaser, number one, it's harder to recognize those needs, and that's sort of an example of this slow progress is still progress and it's hard to say no there's this like guilt of people pleasing or doing quote-unquote the right thing or you know selfishly may wanting others to think of me in a certain way right and so choosing not to participate or whatever like makes me nervous that you know, like people won't like me and I'm like love me and so that's there's a whole bunch that could probably be unpacked there but that's sort of where my brain goes as well there's saying 
that originated from the U.S. Navy SEALs, and that is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And so going into year 30, I am embracing slowness. My mission is to embrace slowness. I know that that's going to take a lot of discipline to really fulfill myself and not revert to maybe some tendencies that left me with an empty cup. So some examples of how I'm embracing the slowness or, you know, clearing my mind and making sure that my cup does stay full or not empty for too long comes with, you know, decluttering. So spring cleaning always, for me, really therapeutic in terms of throwing away stuff. In this case, it was clothes and shoes that I don't wear anymore or don't need or you know, trying to upgrade my style to a more mature style now that I am a working adult and not a college student anymore. Although I guess I will be a college student again soon, so maybe I can hold on to that for a little longer. It also means minimizing inputs. Over the week that followed Memorial Day, I deleted Instagram off my phone and it brought a surprising amount of clarity and peace. And that was surprising to me because I didn't expect that. I thought that I would still feel, you know, pulled to connect. And there were times here and there I was like, oh, I wish I could post this. Or I wonder what my friends are doing and seeing and posting. So after those five days, I did re-download it and got on for about 20 minutes, but it was sort of too much stimulus. It was too stimulating almost. And I spent a few minutes on there and got it back off. And I think my approach will be to not have it downloaded on my phone so that if I really do want to get on there, then I have to think like, Okay, it's not just filling up these blank five minutes, right? It's do I really want to section off and use my time for this versus maybe something else? And I think like the added time of downloading up and logging and opening back up or whatever has really made me think. And it's also made that time suck less accessible for me when I do have downtime in between meetings or at the gym or whatever it may be it's an opportunity to sort of recenter and remain present versus escaping and again not that that's novel it's just interesting insights that I was able to experience I also want to prioritize joy and gratitude in year 30 Again, I'm using, you know, grit and discipline to stay on track with this. So what's next? What's next is interviews. I'm excited to start interviewing people, whether they are, you know, my best friend from college or a cancer survivor that I work with who's a mom of two boys, entrepreneurs who have a full-time job and are picking up extracurriculars, turning their passions into career opportunities potentially, or taking a hobby from just being a hobby to something that's a second source of income, but doing it from a place of 
joy and passion and not like a, a need or a nag or anything like that. And then a really wonderful, inspiring yogi will be on the podcast. And with these interviews, my objective is to share beautiful and meaningful experiences. I want to capture lessons learned through different stages of life. And I want to maintain vulnerability as a virtue. So having really raw conversations, I would like to ask spicy questions that sort of get people thinking or have the opposite of surface level conversation. And so my call to action for you is what are interesting interview questions that you would like to hear our answers to? What types of people would you want to hear from? And what topics do you find interesting to listen to? All things that I want to consider and curate for my audience here. So I will leave it at that. As always, thank you for listening. And I'm excited for our first interview. Mm-hmm.